Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Sorry, the sanctuary is a little warm again. The air is actually off. I think it's just because it was like 80 degrees yesterday in the first week of November. Heated up this room nice. So hopefully it cools down a little next week. But uh, thanks for your patience as we figure out this space. (laughs) So... um, As I mentioned before, this is uh, All Saints Sunday. So All Saints Day was on the 1st of November. Uh, We celebrated All Souls Day together on the 2nd uh, for Midweek Eucharist. And then uh, we we celebrate All Saints Day together on this Sunday. Uh, It's a day to remember God's mercy and his faithfulness, his glory that we see in inhabited and embodied lives throughout the church's history and across the globe. Um, So as we begin this morning, let me pray for us. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, you have surrounded us with a great cloud of witnesses. Grant that we, encouraged by the good example of your servants, may persevere in running the race that is set before us, until at last with them we attain to your eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A few weeks ago, I had a really weird dream. And what happens, sometimes our son will wake up in the middle of the night. Those of you who have small children, you know what this is like. Uh, And so what I'll do sometimes is I'll go into his room and I'll turn the sound machine off. I'll read a book or two to get him to fall back asleep. And this is probably 1.30 or 2 a.m. one morning. And uh, when this happened, I, I read him a book or two and he fell asleep like he was supposed to. And then I laid down on the floor for a few minutes because sometimes if I get up and I open the door, it'll crack and he'll hear it and he'll wake up. It's the worst. And so I lay down on the the floor for a few minutes to make sure he's really good and asleep before I try and get up and walk out the door. And then I decided to get up and walk out the door finally. But as I did this, I turned the knob and I hear him cry. And so I thought, oh no. And so I ran back laid down as quickly as I could and I just went just to let him know I'm actually still laying here it's okay go back to sleep but here's the weird thing I never actually went to the door and I never actually turned the knob and he never actually cried the whole thing was a dream and in my tiredness I just had dreamt that I got up and I went to the door and that he cried but he never did so this time I would do it And I got up and I went to the door and I opened the knob and I hear him cry. And I don't know. So I run back to the floor and I lay down and I go, shh, shh, just so that he knows I'm there. But here's the weird thing. That never happened. I never did it the second time either. It was another dream. (laughs) Now, this happened like four times in a row. I went up and I got to the door and he cried and I went back down and 
So finally, by the fifth or sixth time, I realized that I had just had the same dream four times. And I actually did this time get up, go to the door, got out, and he didn't cry. And I slipped into my bed, and I thought, man, that was weird. Uh, It was such a weird reality to have the same dream reoccur. I haven't really had that sense. It's It's the kind of stuff that happens when you're constantly sleep deprived with a small child. And so sometimes it's really hard to tell a dream from reality. And I was thinking, you know, when we get to the book of Revelation, there is some really weird stuff that we are just flooded with images of uh, colored horses and beasts with 10 heads and things like this. And it can feel like the book of Revelation is like being in a really weird dream. But if you think about it this way, it's kind of like an icon. In an icon, it doesn't necessarily portray realism, but it portrays reality. So there might be things in an icon that don't look realistic, but they portray theological reality. And so in the pages of the apocalypse, the author's not always trying to portray realism. They're trying to portray reality. And so because of that, there is this sense in which um, the embodied experience that you and I have right now that feels so real is actually like the dream. And that the, the weirdness of the dream in the apocalypse is actually the reality. That eventually we are going to wake up from this dream, whether the day that you're having feels like a decent dream or like a nightmare. You are going to wake up from this dream. And on that day, you're going to be fully awake to the realities of the glory of God and his heavenly rule and in his reign uh, in ways that right now you can only barely touch or taste or smell or feel or see. So Revelation chapter 7 that we read this morning reminds us that we are looking to the communion of the saints to discover what's real. We look to the communion of the saints to discover what's real and to find the God who delivers and delights to lead his people in mercy. When we get to verse 9 of chapter 7, St. John, he describes the multitude of the redeemed. It's not just Jews. It's people from every nation and tribe and, and people and language that are, being, that are surrounding God's throne. They've experienced a salvation and a relationship with God that the angels are longing to peer into. And in our liturgy, we're reminded of this every week. We actually experience a taste of it every week. When we pray with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. So it's not just a reminder. You and I are really and truly tasting of the reality of heaven, reminding ourselves that this is actually the dream. And God is delivering a multitude that you and I can't even count. Um, It's an innumerable multitude that have entered through faith and baptism. And they've run the race that's set before them, even though when you look at it, it just feels like this huge faceless cloud that you can kind of see up here on on the image. But if we look hard enough at the cloud, faces start to appear, names start to arise. A lot of their stories were written down for us for our edification Um, for where we go and for how to get there. And I remember once, you know, going on a hike and the trail in this hike had split off into a couple different directions. I noticed where that trail had split. There were these small two inch by three inch painted marks 
on a large tree in each path, and each path had a different color. And we took one of the paths, and every so often, maybe a quarter or half mile, there would be a tree with that distinct color and marking on it. These little markers were so helpful because no matter how weird the trail looked at that point, if you wondered, is this even the trail anymore? It reminded you that you are on the right path, that somebody has been there before you, and that you're not lost. And we need those reminders. And the lives of the saints do exactly the same thing for us now. As you discover the love and the faithfulness of Jesus in this communion of saints in their lives, from long ago, from across the globe, that you can be reminded that you are on the right path. Even when it's lonely, even when it's scary, even when it's exhausting, like you feel like you can't go any further. Someone's been there before you and somebody else is going to follow there after you. You are not lost. My experience with the communion of saints was pretty limited for my first 20 years of life. I didn't actually start seriously following Jesus until I was 14 years old. And, and it was in a tradition, when I did finally start following Jesus, it was in a tradition that didn't value most of the church before the Reformation. And if I'm honest, they actually didn't value much of the church after the Reformation either, except for like a narrow sliver of a few people. But... My first five years here, when I started living in Northern Virginia, uh, just like 2012 to 2017, I spent a lot of time going up to Catholic University of America, where I went to school. And several times during the week, I was in the Basilica of the National Shrine. And, and I would go for midday prayer there. I would go to the basement and explore all the little different chapels that are down there uh, beside the crypt church. And, and sometimes I would go with my Anglican prayer beads. Sometimes I would go with my rosary. Sometimes I would go with my prayer book. And I remember through job transitions, through probably what was depression, but I didn't have a name for it, through financial crises, through work stresses, and all kinds of other troubles that we were dealing with as a, as a household. Um, I just have vivid memories of going there in those emotional spaces, bringing something to pray with and sitting by myself, taking a deep breath, inhaling the fading incense that was in the air and looking at an icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary sweetly holding Jesus. And I was reminded and comforted by the perfect way that she was holding the God of the universe and, and the reminder that it's that kind of love, that maternal parental love that was holding me, right? That the God of the universe was holding me that way. So the communion of saints became really deeply personal for me. And so when in the creed, every week we confess, I believe in the communion of saints, what I really mean is I actually love the communion of saints. And this image then in the book of Revelation reminds us of the multitude around us, the multitude without number who help us see what the end is like even right now, what the reality is like in the midst of the nightmare. And we can rejoice in the ways that you and I are all part of that communion of saints. And so when I sit with any number of you and I get to sit and, and I have the privilege of just listening to your story, like that for me is a cause for rejoicing because 
you're part of the story of salvation of that communion of saints. And I get to behold that with you. There's comfort for me in, in the communion in those times. And this is where St. John moves in verses 13 and 14. He's addressed by one of the elders. And, and it says, there's this question about who is this multitude? And he says that these are the ones who have come through the great tribulation that they've had their robes washed in the blood of the lamb, which is a reminder every week of the white garments that you see people wearing in the liturgy. The great tribulation, uh, I grew up in a tradition that probably got this uh, off. Uh, The great tribulation is not something out there in the future that lasts like seven years or three and a half years. That's not what the great tribulation is. Um, The great tribulation is what every saint goes through in Christ. If you look back, even before Christ, 200 years before Christ, there's a book written called uh, 1 Maccabees. And in 1 Maccabees 9.27, they were interpreting the Great Tribulation in the book of Daniel as their own time period. It's not something out there. It's what the saints are going through in their persecution right now. Jesus saw it happening in his day. And he mentions it in you know, Matthew 24 and 25 in those great They call them eschatological or end of time passages. His crucifixion was a great tribulation, the great tribulation. And it's the great tribulation into which all the saints are called into as those who follow Jesus to be crucified daily. So within a generation of the apostles as well, there was a a book. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's called The Shepherd of Hermas. And in the Shepherd of Hermas, it describes the Great Tribulation as something contemporary, happening in their day, something that continues on into the future. And that book itself was written just within a generation after the apostles. So when those in Christ are living faithfully through the deepest tribulation and the darkest nightmare, they are going to wake up to a brand new and glorious morning. The nightmare will end. And often in scripture and then later beyond scripture in Christian tradition, Jesus is called the son of righteousness, not S-O-N, but S-U-N of righteousness, because it's this recognition that in the resurrection, there is a new day that dawns over the darkness of creation, which groans for this new day. And I've been spending a really inordinate amount of time over the last several weeks thinking about what the new worship space is going to look like. Um, some of you have seen pictures right now. It's kind of a blank canvas. And, and so I've been thinking a lot about how we set this up and how we keep it easy to set up each week. And one of the pieces that I just purchased and I'm really excited about is our new altar cross. Um, it, it is a... To make it easier to set up, it's actually a processional cross that's just really large. And it'll be behind the altar. It's this beautiful metal cross with the Corpus Christi, the the portrayal of Jesus on it. And behind Jesus is the sun with its rays. So what seems like the darkest night of humanity is actually what gives light to the new dawn of creation, symbolized in the cross that we'll get to look at every single week. The communion of saints reminds us that God is delivering us through our trials and not despite our trials. It's not that like God was surprised by what we would go through, but these are actually part of the process of bringing the new day. And one of the other things is in our, in our new sanctuary in January, the room has a lot lower ceilings than this. 
And so if you can imagine these high ceilings draw our imagination into an experience of the exaltedness of God, the otherness of God. But I would love in this new space where the ceilings are lower to draw our imagination into the incarnation and the glory of the communion of saints. So think instead of this, think of this. The incarnation and the glory of the communion of the saints. And one of the ways that I want to highlight that is, is through icons. And so we're going to have icons in the new sanctuary. We're going to have the Virgin Mary tenderly holding Jesus on this side of the altar, on the new covenant side. And on the other side of the altar, we're going to have an icon of St. John the Baptist, the forerunner who predicted the coming of the Messiah on the old covenant side of the altar. Having those two things surrounding the altar not only reminds us of the communion of saints, it also reminds us that our salvation is both now and not yet. And so we get to be drawn into those aspects of our salvation together through the communion of saints. Um, And what it reminds us of also is that we actually need one another in the salvation story that God is telling. Because each one of you is part of the communion of saints. I need you in my story. And you need one another in your story that God is writing of your salvation. So I think the new space is going to really draw us into that in ways that I'm really excited for. In verses 15 through 17 of of Revelation 7... The communion of saints invites us into an experience of God's mercy. It says that God is going to wipe away every tear from his people's eyes. It's hard to read that without crying, right? This is one of those passages that's often read at funerals. God's ultimate aim is to bring his people into this tender experience of his mercy. It's a good reminder that God's anger and his wrath are not the ultimate things that are going to define his character. But in this passage... We have this tender image of a shepherd king who steps down from his throne and goes to each one of his precious sheep to comfort them, to touch each one of their faces, to wipe away every single tear from their eyes. And I can imagine him saying to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. That was really hard, but you made it enter into my joy. So the communion of saints is what you and I have entered into, where God is our king, who loves us as his own. And on the cross, a new day is dawned for his people. And so we can rejoice because the the nightmare of this worldly experience is going to end and a new day will be the reality where all of creation is new, where we enter into the joy of that new creation reality where all these things will be revealed uh, both in some ways now, but ultimately in the age to come. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us, we pray, in the midst of things that we cannot understand, to believe and trust in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of life everlasting. Grant us, with all who have died in the hope of this resurrection, the fullness of life in your eternal and everlasting glory and with all your saints to receive the crown of life promised to all who share in the victory of your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.